The Sober Highway Podcast is brought to you by Brainwashed Coffee Company. We all know how important coffee is to the recovery community, but what's even more important is that Brainwashed Coffee Company donates 50% of its proceeds to people in addiction recovery. Visit brainwashedcoffeecode.com and use the promo code SOBERHIGHWAY at checkout for 20% off your coffee order. What better way to support people in addiction recovery than with a great bag or bundle of Brainwashed Coffee? Brainwashed Coffee Company. Simple coffee for complicated people. We are also brought to you by Fukit Clothing. Fukit is an inspirational brand with the mission to inspire and motivate people to live life without regret and accept challenges that are worth the risk. Visit the link in the episode description and use the promo code SOBERHIGHWAY at checkout for a discount on your order. I'm actually wearing one of their hats right now as I'm recording and editing this episode. Again, check out Fukit Clothing at the link in the episode description and help support an amazing brand bringing awareness to mental health issues and suicide prevention. Guess who's back? Back again. So I was back. Tell a friend. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Did you miss us? We apologize for being away from you guys for too long. But today is July 27th, 2021. And it just so happens to be Tuesday. And you know what that means? It's time for the John Smoltz. Episode 29 of your favorite recovery talk show, The Sober Highway Podcast. Today, Anika and I talk about harm reduction techniques. Plus, Anika has an important announcement to make, so you don't want to miss it. Get ready, get set, and let's go. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. My name is Dan. And my name is Anika. And welcome to the Sober Highway Podcast. We are two young social workers who have dedicated our lives and careers to affecting change in the addiction recovery community. We want to use this podcast as a platform to take the things we have learned over the course of our careers and share it with our listeners. At the end of the day, we hope to inspire as many people as we can to make a change and live a lifestyle free of drugs and alcohol. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Say hello. Hi. <laughs> we only have one viewer right now, but it's one more viewer than we're expecting to have. So, so it's so early on a Sunday, you know. Yeah, that's true. I think it might even be a bot because it was the same viewer that was watching me while I was playing yesterday, the other day. Okay. So yeah, it very well might be a bot, but that's fine. Um. So. What's going on? How's everything? Oh, good. My, one of my neighbors, though, had a party last night. And, like... Oh, yeah? And normally, like, there are a lot of people, like, in summer where we live, like, that have parties, whatever. But, um... So the music fell, like, on, like, kind of late, whatever. But they were, like, doing karaoke, and I was like, oh, God, I can't stand the sound. Like, they were not... They should not have done karaoke. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, some people are just good singers, and, like... I don't know. I feel like I feel like if you're not I feel like karaoke is something you have to do. One of those very few things that you have to do when you're intoxicated because if you're not everybody there, there none of the none of your friends are professional singers. So like they're going to sound like crap. So then again, on the Sober Highway podcast, we're not encouraging you to drink when you do karaoke what we're saying is if you if you are well aware that your friends are terrible singers and you're okay with that then go do some karaoke it may be a good opportunity to even make a fool of yourself in front of your friends and help you step out of your comfort zone a little bit yeah i think they should have just left the music on and not done the karaoke yesterday that's I think that probably would have been a better idea <laughs> Because I'm like trying to go to sleep, but it's like 11 30, 12 o'clock, and they're like little hyenas out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, so, okay. <laughs> so how has how has work been for you the last couple of uh, last couple of weeks? Last couple of weeks, it's it's been the usual. It's it's busy. Um, I actually have um because I take insurance 
you know, they do audits every so often. So I actually got information regarding an audit. So like I'm a little busy because I'm trying to just make sure I get everything in. Um, which which company's auditing you? Um, I don't know if I'm like really allowed to say. I don't know. Oh, like, okay. So we'll we'll, we'll not. But um, okay. I don't really have any concerns or anything. It's just annoying, you know. Right. Trying to print everybody's stuff out, go through all their files, you know. In addition to seeing my normal caseload, is a lot. Mm-hmm. So, but. It comes with the territory, right? Mm-hmm. Mom fuel. Uh... This is actually my sister-in-law's cup. Okay. Um, that I got her for Mother's Day, and I'm stealing it. Oh, okay. So are we are we ready to make that announcement on the podcast now? Um. Yeah, I, I guess. Um. Because that could be a that could be a really big uh that could be something big that we announce on like. We get to pull some people in on our Instagram and our TikTok and whatnot. Yeah. So, so Anika, yeah. without I, further ado, go I ahead. Am preg- I'm pregnant. Um, I'm actually very pregnant at this point. I'm in my last trimester. Um, I'm due in several weeks. Uh, so it's really exciting. Um, can we can we see a can we see a side profile? No, not right now. It's like first thing in the morning. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm like, I'm wearing sweatpants <laughs> that have holes in them because I want it to be comfortable. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All good. Um, this little child, he likes to sit on my bladder too. Okay. All day, every day, all night, every night. Yeah. Um, it's like his little pillow. So it's been real fun. I um, bet. I bet. You know. But it's it's good. Um, I'm very very grateful for this experience, this journey, and I'm excited to be a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, it has not been easy by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some women are like really lucky, and they're like, oh, like I felt great and everything was fantastic. Like I was freaking like puking my guts out for like the first oh like 17 weeks. Okay. Um. <clears throat> It was really awful. I, I had to take medication for it. I still take medication now, actually, for the yeah. and vomiting. Um, you know, but um, the second trimester, there was, like, a nice little sweet spot in there where, like, I was feeling pretty good. I had energy. I didn't feel it nearly as sick. And, like, now I'm like, okay, I'm just large, tired. Mm. <laughs> this child is, like, four-some pounds already. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my... um. My best friend Tom just had a baby, and I, I, I think you guys both, for the for the people that are the one person that's listening, or the people that are going to be listening to this after the fact, um, I I knew I knew Anika was pregnant this whole time. Yeah. So my Anika and my and my friend Tom, his wife, were. I almost feel like they were kind of both, they both got pregnant at the, around the same time. So I was kind of trying to figure out, like, I was thinking like, which one's gonna give birth first. And, um, fortunately for, for Tom, they had their baby, I think it was like last week or week and a half ago or something like that. And, um, they had a beautiful baby boy who looks just like him, by the way, it's crazy. Um, and what's funny is whenever, like, whenever I see people like having baby, like when you see it on TV and it's supposed to be like one of those, like, oh, we're taking our baby home things. It's like the baby's always crying. The parents are always up. And it's just like, it's like, oh yeah, it's beautiful now. But once you get the baby home, it's like madness. Um, Mm -hmm. and for him, it's been like all chill. You know, it's so funny that you say that, though, because I have a couple friends that also had babies, like, during COVID and stuff, and all of them have, like, super chill babies, Mm -hmm. and I wonder how much of it has to do with, like, people maybe not necessarily doing the same things that they they were before, so they're maybe feeling a little more calm throughout the pregnancy, and then the baby's Mm -hmm. not necessarily having the same exposure to all the stimuli right away. 
mm-hmm. because parents are trying to be a little more cautious or because there are restrictions in different places. And I was actually thinking about this the other day and I'm like, I wonder how much of an effect that actually is having because I've met so many little calm babies lately or people have been telling me about their babies that are like super chill. Mm-hmm. That's weird. So hmm. in case anybody that's listening was curious about doing a study, that might be something that, you know, want to look yeah. into. <laughs> you know, you know, the other thing I'm actually interested to see whether or not your whether or not your baby has um is kind of has like your complexion or carlos's i'm guessing probably somewhere in between and so it's so funny because i was saying the other day so because like i'm mixed um in winter my skin's really light and then in summer typically like i even if i get like a little bit of sun hold on um, one sec you sound kind of choppy really quick it's weird that is weird you hear what i'm talking about right yeah, but nothing has changed. That's very weird. Um, Go ahead. I'll let you know if it happens again. But yeah, so in summer, normally, like, I, I get, like, a little bit more tan and, like, the olive complexion and everything. And um, this year, I haven't really been outside. I've just been, I have a lot of work, and I'm, we're busy, and we're trying to prepare, obviously. And I'm, like, I'm turning into Casper the Ghost right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't uh, think that's going to change anything. As no. As he's concerned. No, it's not. But it's just to me is so bizarre because normally like I'm always like outside. It's summer, you know. Um, but this year it's just like I look like Casper the ghost. And it's okay. But yeah, I think I think in terms of uh, Look at me. Up, yeah. I'm freaking pale as a ghost too. And and Michelle is is I don't want to say she's fair skinned, but she's very light skinned as well. So but like yeah. Carlos, he he does this. He's the same way too, though. In summer, he gets much darker than than in winter. I guess that like naturally happens to like those of us that have like more mixed ethnicities. Is it? You said you said Carlos is Dominican, right? Yeah. Oh well, they're just a naturally dark people. Well, yeah, but like it's so his. We did the the ancestry DNA like for like our parents, mm-hmm. um, for for Christmas and everything, and so like his parents are mostly like Spanish, Portuguese, West African, and like indigenous Native American, mm-hmm. right? Which is pretty typical of Dominican. There's like a couple midges of like random other stuff. Like he's like, like Ashkenazi Jew came up, which like, is hey. not really, but like whatever. That's a whole separate fact that I won't get into. Welcome to the tribe, Carlos. <laughs> um, then there was, I think, like some like Chinese or like some some Asian as well, like a very very small percentage. Whereas like my family, I actually thought was going to be a little more mixed than it was, and it really was not. My mom came back like truly like super German Swiss, like a particular area that like the border always used to change. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's from Germany, and then like my dad came back as Indian, um, like North Indian Pakistani. Mm-hmm. um without like anything else uh which we did not expect we thought that he was going to be mixed with like a lot more mm-hmm. it was really interesting that is very cool so yeah um give me one second i'm just trying to check out the recordings for something okay um so my f- past few weeks have been interesting as well So this past weekend, I went to the Cape for my mom's birthday, which was so much fun. I haven't been up to the Cape in so long. And was it really busy there? Like, and like crowded, like like traffic, like sitting in traffic and stuff? Well, here's the deal. I left for the Cape from Manhattan right after I finished work. So... I didn't have to deal with any of the traffic of getting into the city. And I didn't, I honestly didn't hit much traffic in New York. It was more, it was more when I got to Connecticut. Like when you, like, there's like, for those of you that don't know, like when you're traveling up I-95, there's a bunch of like big cities that you have to hit on your way up 95. So after New York, like after New York City and Westchester, 
you hit Stamford, then uh, Norwalk, uh, Bridgeport, and then there's New Haven, uh, and then you hit, I believe, I can't remember, uh, there's Mystic, New London, and then you Hartford. hit... No, Hartford is further you north. Don't, you don't no. hit... No, you don't go through Hartford. Um, and then you hit Rhode Island. And then once you hit, once you get to Providence, then you hit, then you, then you get onto another highway and that takes you east. And then you go over the Bourne Bridge, which get, which puts you on the Cape. Um, so like I was, like I was trying to say, the traffic was more, um, when you were going, like approaching those cities. Um, I would say New Haven is kind of like the halfway point, I think. Uh, but like there really yeah. wasn't that much traffic because it was closer to the evening. Um, once well, that's you... nice for you. Yeah, yeah. I was very grateful for that. Um, and being up there and seeing my parents again was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, because I hadn't seen them since like in person since like April. Mm-hmm. You know that that's what happens when yeah. when they retire and leave your leave you stranded. No, I'm just I'm just I'm <laughs> they're just probably enjoying their retirement. <laughs> oh well, my dad loves being retired, but he actually just got a part time job working for the Cape Cod Transit Authority. It's so, like he's going to be driving the buses on Cape Cod, which is okay, which is so cool. And that's like that's honestly like the perfect job for my dad. Because my dad loves to drive. Like, that's what he does. Like, his whole career with the FDMY was driving an ambulance. So, he just loves driving. Whenever we go on family road trips, he would drive. Um, that's so, cool, like, though. that's, that's like, the perfect thing for him. Um, so, we, uh, we went out to dinner on, I can't remember which night we went out. But then we ended up cooking it, bringing in one night. My aunt and uncle came over. You know, I grilled on the barbecue for them. And then we went to um, we went to Hyannis, which is basically like the main, in my opinion, is like the main hub of Mass- of, of Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. That's where like all the major shopping is, um, all the big restaurants and whatnot. Um, like if you need like there's like a home depot there you know all that stuff like if you need stuff that's outside of like your small little mom and pop shops you got to go to hyannis and so there was like a big craft fair so i bought a couple of posters uh to hang in our in our apartment and i don't know it's just weird because they have like I'm used to going to like a craft fair in the city and seeing like Mets merch and Yankees merch and Jets, Giants, Rangers, Islanders. And I forgot for a second that I'm in Massachusetts, right? So like I'm walking through this thing and I'm starting to see like Red Sox and Celtics and Patriots. And I'm just like, ugh. Like, what's going on? I'm just like disgusted. And I just... As soon as I see all of those logos, I just think of, I just think of Tim's face, just like, Ooh. Poor Tim gets dragged into this. Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to engage Tim, the 22 Minutes podcast in a little bit of mental health podcast beef. We'll see if he'll respond. I doubt it, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just weird. Uh, it was honestly just a little weird to see all that stuff. And, um you know, these guys were trying to like, they were trying to sell me stuff. And I'm like, listen, I pulled down my Mets at, I'm like, uh, you know, it's not really my team. And they, they started breaking my balls. I'm like, you know what? Now I wasn't going to buy from you because you were selling Boston merch. Now I'm not buying from you because you're a jerk. It will make you very happy to know that this baby has a little Mets onesie. Great. And by the way, I'm going to reach out. To, I'm going to text you after the, after this is done. Um, cause I want to, I'd like to send you a little something when, when the baby is born. Oh, thank you. Um, do yeah. you actually, do you have a registry or something? I do. I can send it to you. Perfect. Um, okay. He, uh, he's definitely going to be a little Mets fan because Carlos is, is a Mets fan too. Beautiful. So, um, we, should go, 
You should go to a game, the four of us. Yeah, we, we actually, so every year normally him and I go always to the Subway Series in July. It's okay. like a thing we do, like we've done since we started dating. And um, this year we didn't go because I was just like, I don't feel like going. I'm like, I'm really pregnant. Mm. It's hot. It was really hot, like early in July too. Mm -hmm. Oh, I I can't, I can't do anything. And you know what I noticed? Like, because you're, because City Field is near Flushing Bay. Um, I, it, like when it's hot, especially like in the evening time, it gets very sticky. Sticky. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I just don't like to be bothered with that. To be honest with you, I like more of the, I like more of the fall games. Like once you get into like late August, early September, mm-hmm. and you don't have to deal with like the, the crazy sun, or like yeah. the early spring games, you know. And between yeah. you and me, I prefer night games over day games, all all day. Well, because well. It, it really depends, right, on, like, what your week looks like. But, yeah, night games are nicer because it's not near to be in the beating sun. <laughs> I, like, I don't know if, 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 if this happened to you when you, were, when you were growing up, but, like, I used to come home from school at, like, 2.30, 3 o'clock, and my dad would be like, what are you doing tonight? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, well, after you're done with your homework, you want to go to a Met game. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Okay, that sounds like fun. I mean, it only happened like a couple, like two or three times, but it was still kind of fun to do. My dad um, would be like, do you want to watch cricket? <laughs> <laughs> I've all, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I, I'm always fascinated by sports. So, you know, like if I could, like, if someone was willing to like watch a cricket, is it a cricket match? Is yeah. Match? So if I want, if, if I wanted to watch a match with someone and someone was willing to sit down with me and like teach me about the game i would love to do that um like for example the olympics are on right now and i'm trying to i'm trying to watch archery um and the problem with i wa- figured you probably would yeah so uh the problem with archery is it doesn't like they usually don't start broadcasting archery till like nine ten o'clock at night and it goes till sometimes like one or two in the morning um, and the USA team is shitting the bed right now. Um, they got, they got eliminated from the mixed team competition. The women's team got doinked by Russia. So we're still waiting. Uh, we're still waiting for the men's team and the women's individual and the men's team, men's individual and women's individual. Um, but so far the U S the U.S. team as a whole is kind of shitting the bed because I don't think they have any medals yet, uh, which is not good. So U.S. Team USA, step it up. I mean, come on. I mean, we can't we can't go to Tokyo and not come back with any medals. I mean, we will, but um, but like these these archers are so freaking good. I mean, it's not even like it's not even like the USA is bad. In archery, it's just the other teams are so good. So good, yeah. And and it's interesting because like archery is not something like in the U.S. that's like super like competitive and like like I'm sure in the circles of people that actually do archery, it is really competitive. But in terms of like public like popularity and things like that, it's not really right. Yeah, I mean archery is very popular. It's very very popular in South Korea. And I'm pretty sure in South Korea, it's like the national sport, um, which is why the South Koreans, which is why the South Koreans are absolutely dominating right now. They've, I'm pretty sure they've won like every gold medal um, since like it's since archery joined the Olympic Games, some shit like that. I know the last few Olympics, they've been killing it. Um, the women's team just said in a, the women's, uh, South Korean team set an Olympic record this year in qualifying. It's just, it's just, I can't believe how good they are. But um, I don't know where we, I don't know why we got off topic, but <laughs> we always do. Um, <clears throat> so here's something that we can talk about. So 
the hospital that I work at um, in Manhattan, we have been we have been seeing a lot of overdoses coming in. Um, a lot of the overdoses are coming are opioid overdoses. The patients are getting patients are getting Narcan in the field. And then when they get to the hospital, uh, when we ask them like, Hey, you overdosed and we had to Narcan you. And they're like, why was I Narcan? Like I didn't use, I didn't use dope. Right. So that leads us to conclude that whatever it is that they're using, whether it's K2, whether it's PCP, whether it's crack cocaine, um, crack or cocaine, uh, that it's being cut with fentanyl. Well, I mean, we kind of knew that some of that was going to happen, right? Right. I mean, we, I knew that that was a thing. But you're seeing it now, like in the hospital, like in the emergency yes. room. Yes. So one of the, one of the doctors who is an absolute rock star, that's what I call her. Um, I'll just call her Dr. Rockstar for, for the purposes of this, um, of this discussion. And it'll probably be a common theme because this is something that I'm working on at the hospital with, with her. Um, she's like, we need to figure out like ways to make people use safely. So I figured what we could do is do a little talk about harm reduction. Mm-hmm. Have we done an episode Completely we, about harm reduction? I don't know if we've necessarily done a full episode on harm reduction. I know that we've talked about it a lot in different um, settings, like in terms of like um, abstinence is not the, the only way of dealing with uh, right. recovery rate or, or to, to deal with um, addiction. Mm-hmm. I know we've talked about it in terms of like smart recovery. Um, allowing harm reduction as part of what they believe in mm-hmm. although they are they they do like abstinence um but they are totally accepting of harm reduction as a, an additional standpoint but i don't know if we've really ever done just um harm reduction right so for those of you guys that are listening that are going to be listening to this after the fact there's two main, I would say there's two main approaches to addiction recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, one of which is as old as time. Um, and that's, that's the, the abstinence only approach. And that's basically saying, well, if you want to be, if you want to be drug free, like if you want to be sober and you know, drugs and alcohol have been causing your problems, then to achieve sobriety, you need to eliminate all drugs, all alcohol from your, from your daily lifestyle, your activities, whatnot. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So so all like, you know, um, yeah, like not, not all drugs are illegal. Right. But like, mm -hmm. Drugs that, that are mind altering in that sense mm-hmm. and alcohol. That's, I mean, whether or not the drug is illegal is irrelevant when you're talking about like the approaches to recovery, but essentially what we're getting at is if you want to be clean at the abstinence only approach is drug, no drugs, no alcohol, nothing. And that's what most like treatment centers will kind of say is abstinence mm-hmm. only 12-step programs will say abstinence only, right? Um, mm-hmm. So in terms of getting help, there's a lot that focus just on abstinence. Right. The second approach that we're going to talk a little bit about and different examples of this approach is um, what we call harm reduction. And it's essentially, it's, it's in the name, right? With this approach, um, we know that people are going to continue to use. We know that people are going to continue to drink. So let's try to eliminate as many potential risks potential risks for harm as possible mm-hmm. um and that so, can mean a lot of things right uh right exactly so one of the things one example of harm reduction um which is which was something that dr rockstar brought up 
um, was we should be we should be giving we should be distributing fentanyl testing strips, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially, what a testing strip is is it's a little piece of paper, right? That you dip into the solution that you're about to inject into your arm, or if you're a person that snorts drugs, you mix a little bit of whatever it is that you're snorting with some water and you dip the strip in it. And if the strip turns blue after a few seconds or turns whatever color it is, then, then you know that whatever you're about to inject or snort has fentanyl in it. So it's like those little litmus tests. Back in that, like middle school chemistry, right? Middle right. Chemistry. Right. So she thought that this was an amazing idea because she's like, damn, we're getting all of these people coming in that are overdosing on opioids. That have no idea. That have no idea that they're overdosing on opioids. And like, that's a problem. So granted, there's a whole problem. There's probably a whole bunch of other things in, in the drugs that they're snorting, but fentanyl is the one that's probably going to kill you. Mm -hmm. Um, that has the high, the greatest chance of killing you. Um, so I reached out, I took that and I took that suggestion and I ran with it and I went to my higher ups and basically they were saying, well, you know, I think that's a really good harm reduction tool, but, you know, we kind of want to go with the route of, okay, well, we want to tell our patients, uh, don't use by yourself, um, know your dealer. Because uh, your dealer is going to be real honest. <laughs> use a, you know, having the naloxone kit, things like that. And I'm thinking to myself, as soon as this guy just sent that email, I went to the doc, I went to Dr. Rocks. I was like, did, he, did this guy really just say, know your dealer? And I, and cause I've had that conversation with my patients before. Like, how do you know that what you're getting is safe? Like is actually the drug that you're looking to use. And they're like, oh, well, I just, I buy my drugs from the same guy all the time. I'm like, okay, well then how do you know that that guy's not getting the right, the same drugs from his guy? You know? Um, so I basically turned around and I said, well, I think the naloxone kit is a really good, is a really good method of harm reduction, but mm -hmm. with the fentanyl testing strip, you're giving people an additional way, tool. You're giving people an additional tool and you're, you're preventing, you could possibly prevent an overdose before it happens. Whereas when you have the naloxone kit, if that person is, if that person is not, is if that person is using alone, there's no way that they're going to use that naloxone kit in time to save their life. No. And, and the other thing with naloxone too, and fentanyl in particular is sometimes it takes more than one kit. Exactly. Naloxone, right. Exactly. So like, say you're even using with someone and you have one naloxone kit, but it has like whatever you're using has a high amount of fentanyl in it. One naloxone kit might not be enough. That's why, that's why when we distribute the kits, when we're like, they give us like pre-made kits to give out to patients in the ED, um, they give us two doses. Yeah. Um, and we, and we tell the patients, if you use one, even if you use one, come on back, let us we'll know, replace. let us know, and we'll replace it for you. No problem. Yeah. Um, naloxone is usually free. I've never been, I've never, I've never had to pay to get a naloxone kit from anyone. Um, as long, whenever you go to a Narcan training anywhere on the Island, anywhere in the state, they give you a kit to take home. So, um, and a lot of places that give out the kits, you can usually call them and they'll tell you where to go to get another. I was just going to say kit. that, that, you know, they, they do say that like, if it's used before, like another training comes up or something, there is a number for you to call. So you could swap it out and get a new one. Um, right. you can buy it at the pharmacy. Yeah, you can get it at the pharmacy. Um, absolutely. You will pay for it at the pharmacy. Right. Unless, I believe, unless a doctor has given you a prescription, okay. I think you can get it for free. Um, but here, as you know, at the hospital, we could just give it to them without the, without the yeah. script. But um, 
you know, I was telling them that the strips are a great idea because if a, like normally when a patient comes in for an overdose, I ask them before they leave, I ask them, would you like a, would you like a naloxone kit? And they're like, well, what's, what's naloxone? What's Narcan? And I explain it to them. And they're like, ah, no, nah, I don't need that. If I turn around to them and say, listen, if you're going to go out there and use again, I'm not going to stop you, but you know what? Do me a favor, take this strip and, and just, just to check and make sure you're not injecting fentanyl into your body again, or you're not snorting fentanyl again, you know? And even if, even if they take that strip or if they refuse the kit, like that strip is like a, like a physical reminder of what I said to them while they're in the ED, you know, like I can still, even if they refuse the kit, I can still educate them on what an overdose looks like and how, what to do if you see someone overdosing. But if I don't give them anything to take out of the ED with them, they're going to forget that shit. And they probably will forget it, even if I give them the strip. Yeah, they'll but, probably lose it. They, you know, like that's very common. People will, will lose it, misplace it. Oh, I don't need it. Right. But it gives them the opportunity at least to have it if they choose to use it or if they choose to be, be like be more conscious about their use in some way. Exactly. Um, so just to, just to summarize where we're at for right now. So examples of harm reduction techniques or tools, things that will eliminate risks for people that are using. So, so, so far we've talked about naloxone kits, right? That's, uh, an opioid re overdose reversal drug that goes in the nose. Um, it's an uh, intramuscular injection. Um, it could be an, an IV injection. Um, we also talked about the fentanyl testing strips. Uh, things like um, not using by yourself. Um, Clean needle exchange. That's the thing I was going to bring up. So... In New York, specifically New York City, I don't know if they have them across the state yet. There are places that you can go um, called syringe exchange programs. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what those are? Well, so basically they're, they're places where people who are using injections in particular, right, are able to go bring dirty needles to dispose of in a, the proper environment, right, mm -hmm. and also get clean needles to use um, to prevent the spread of disease, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, that, that's really what it's about is reducing the risk of infection, disease, things like that. Um, because a lot of people that are using are using the same needle over and over, sharing needles, um, things like that. And, and so that has a lot of risk involved. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't stop people from, from using, right? Which is why I notice a lot of IV users either have some sort of, some sort of like something like, uh, like hepatitis or yeah, hep C is really common. Hep C is very common among IV drug users. Um, a lot of people have HIV or can, can, can contract HIV. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones, but essentially one of the, the reason why this is considered a harm reduction tool is because when you're in, when you're injecting drugs and you're sharing needles, like you're putting yourself at risk for getting hep hepatitis, HIV, any other sexually transmitted diseases that the first person who injected was, was take has, you know? So when you go to a syringe exchange program and you get a fresh, clean, sterile needle, you're not putting yourself at risk for contracting any of those viruses, diseases, things like that. Um, and this is not just for people that are injecting opioids. There are people that inject, you know, crack, people that inject um, uh, methamphetamines, uh, PCP, things like that. Um, so this is a place where you can go. There's, there's doctors, there's nurses that are staffed there um, that are, are going to be supervising the people that are using. And... Um, there are also social workers there that can talk to patients and help refer them to treatment if they decide that they want to go. And that's the ultimate goal of harm reduction when you think about it, right? Is 
once you've taken away all of the potential risks outside of just using the drugs, the patient can eventually turn around and see like, wow, these drugs are really fucking up my life. Let me get some help. Mm -hmm. And what bothers me about talking about harm reduction is when you meet the, when you talk to those people that are, I would say on the more conservative end of the political spectrum, and they talk about, well, this is just an excuse for people to get high. Like yeah. why, why should, why should my tax paying money go to a government owned syringe exchange program so people can get high? Yeah. And it honestly, it honestly pisses me off because they're they're not they're not trying to see the 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 true goal of what the program is intended to do. Well, they're they're not seeing the true goal. They're also not like if if you really want to break it down for costs and things like that, right? The cost of some of these these things of treating, um, like especially a syringe exchange program, right? The cost of treating hepatitis, HIV, um, abscess, infection, all of those things, right? Like the cost of that is way higher mm -hmm. than the syringe exchange program, mm -hmm. right? So like when, when we actually think about those things. Um, right. And so again, yes, your money is going to prevent some of these things that otherwise would cost taxpayers lots of money because these people end up in the hospital, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of times they don't necessarily have good health insurance. Then they're, they may not have any health insurance, right? depending on what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, then it ends up kind of being the taxpayer's money that's going towards it. So why not try to prevent an issue, mm -hmm. right? Um, the, the other thing is too, like, like we've been saying, you know, people are going to continue to use. Not everybody is at that point where they are able to stop or want to stop. I had a, I had a patient come in the other day. Um, they were a, they're a post-op, they were a post-op recovery patient. They like, they had surgery like, like a week or so ago. And like, he had, he had like staples all up the side of his ribs. Um, and he was asking for, to be referred to an inpatient while he was on the IP floor in recovery, he asked the social worker up there to be referred to a inpatient drug program. Right. And apparently before the referral could be completed, uh, he, he left whether I can't remember if he left AMA or if he signed, if they discharged him and the social worker just took, was dragging his feet. I don't know. So he's back in the ED. He's got rib pain. He's got abdominal pain. He's got back pain. I'm assuming because of the, in, you know, because of the surgical site, it's giving, causing him pain, whatever. Um, so I go and I check in with him and he's only reporting to me that he's smoking weed every day. So I'm like, how am I like, I, I can't justify inpatient rehab for marijuana use. Like that's going to be a tough sell. And I told my supervisor, I was like, I'm good. Like I can, I know, kind of know what to say to an inpatient program to say like, okay, we'll take this guy. But like, that's a tough sell. That's going to yeah. be hard. I was like, I'm good, but I'm not that good. Um, so I had to find the social worker that was on the IP floor and I talked to him and like, he, he said that the, so that the patient also endorsed some alcohol use to the, you know, when he first got up there. So I went downstairs back to him and I was like, so you told me before that you're not using any drug. You're not using anything other than marijuana, right? I just spoke to the social worker that you met with upstairs and he told me that you endorse some alcohol use. Do you remember asked, saying that to him? He goes, yes, I do. I said, would you like to change your answer now? Because this can change where I ultimately refer you to. Because we've talked about it in earlier episodes, right? Alcohol use, you have to work when you have someone who's drinking, you have to think about withdrawal symptoms, mm -hmm. which may have been why he was asking for residential treatment in the first place. So he says, yes, I drink alcohol. I said, how often are you drinking? He goes, I drink. I only drink on days that I smoke weed. 
I said, okay, well, you said you smoke weed every day. Does that mean you're drinking every day? He said, yes. I said, okay, how much are you drinking? He goes, let me put it to you this way, sir. He called me sir, which is kind of cool. He said, when I wake up in the morning in my bed, I never have any recollection of how I got into bed. I was like, so you're blacking out every day. And he says, yeah. I was like, okay, well, now you definitely need detox. Um, and I believe I was able to get the guy into a program, like a detox program. But like, I forgot where we were going with this. Where were we going with this? What were you I don't saying? know, harm, harm reduction. So I'm, I'm curious as to where this was, uh, this was actually going. I don't know why I, it brought me up. To, it, it, I can't remember why I was telling the story. I remember when I started telling the story, I was like, I'm going to connect it to what we were talking about. And then I forgot. Shit. Stop laughing at me. You can't help it. But in terms of, yes, I, I think sometimes people, though, in, in all fairness, they'll forget that alcohol is a drug as well. Mm -hmm. um, or again, because it's socially acceptable mm -hmm. that like, oh, it's not really dangerous, right? That is totally not the case. Right. And because marijuana is legal now, it kind of also changes how how we document things in in the clinical setting, because before marijuana was legal, I could just say patient denied using alcohol and all other illicit substances. Now I have to say patient denies using alcohol, marijuana and all other illicit substances. Um, so you have to be really careful because if a patient says, yeah, I'm not using marijuana or I'm using marijuana and you write patient denies all using illicit, using all illicit substances, and you leave out marijuana, like that could, if someone's reading that, like, you know, that could change the game for something. Like if a doctor's trying to treat something and you leave something out, you got to be careful. Well, and I'm also curious as to, so in New York, at least, I don't know about mm -hmm. other states. I can only speak to New York. Before marijuana was legal, mm -hmm. it was medicinally used. And part of um, the harm reduction program in New York was if, you could get medical marijuana if you um, were trying to be in recovery from opioids. That's correct. Right. And so I'm wondering now with the laws kind of changing and marijuana being legal, like how that affects that harm reduction approach, right? Like if it does in, in any way. Well, I would hope, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, or you, I mean, I'd love to hear your opinion on this, but I would think before marijuana was legal, like for recreational use, the only way you could utilize medical marijuana is for either certain conditions, right? But it would come in the form of a vape or a tincture um, or a pill mm -hmm. um, or something like that. Like a, like a lo it could be a lotion or whatever. Um, and the reason why we wouldn't accept patients in the, in the emerge um, in the outpatient program is because when we were drug testing people, we couldn't tell whether or not it was because they were testing positive for THC because they were smoking like a joint or a blunt or whatever, or if it was because of the medical marijuana that they were getting from the medical dispensary. Um, so I would think that, I mean, if I was a doctor and I was prescribing someone medical marijuana now, I would still say it's either a vape, a tincture or an oil or something. I wouldn't give them smokable cannabis. No way. Yeah. I'm I don't think curious. it would change that. I don't think so either, but I'm just curious as to like, also like what that'll look like now that it's, it's legal recreational. If like people who were using that medicinally, right. Are now kind of like, eh, I don't need to go to a doctor. Like I'll just buy some weed and smoke it. You know what I mean? I think that I'm again, I'm one of those people that likes to think everybody is good. Like, I don't, I don't judge people. I don't like to have any preconceived notions about people, but I would think that the people that are using marijuana, medical marijuana for what it was intended for, I don't think that legal marijuana is going to change things. I think 
maybe they they might use recreational like smokable cannabis in addition to their medical regimen. I don't think they're going to completely abandon what they've been working on and have been maintaining for so long just because recreational weed is legal. Yeah. I'm just curious, right? Because it's like something that like makes it like it that that was like a big part of New York's like push for harm reduction, right? Mm-hmm. Was that. And so like again, I think sometimes like things obviously change and like what does that look like then? Right. Right. Um in terms of I know I've mentioned this before too and another harm reduction model is not super popular in the US but in Europe it's very popular for drinking is the Sinclair method. Yes, can you go over that again cuz I remember you mentioned it. Yeah, so the Sinclair method again, speak to your doctor about it. Um and if they don't know what it is, educate them and talk to them about how like in Europe they use this a lot and it's using um naltrexone pills. Um, which we've talked about before as well, that can help reduce cravings for opiates and and, um, alcohol. But in this case, it's used specifically for alcohol. And um, basically, you only take the the naltrexone pill when you're going to drink. And you take it, I believe, and I could be wrong. So again, don't don't, quote me on this, but this is what I've, I've read and heard. And from my recollection is that you take it, I think, about an hour before um drinking whereas normally like naltrexone is taken every day like in the morning kind of thing that's how we prescribe it in the u.s normally like well doctors prescribe it in the u.s right um but in europe doctors will prescribe it in that way that they use it only on days that they're drinking about an hour before you take it and you you drink mm-hmm. right and after most people report after like between one and three drinks they typically do not want any more, mm-hmm. right? So people who are used to binge drinking in particular, that could be really helpful because they're not getting the pleasurable effects from the alcohol. It's not sending the same chemical signals to the brain to say, oh, this is awesome, keep drinking. Right. Um, so again, if that's something in terms of harm reduction that you might be interested in, there is a lot of information out there. Speak to your doctor, your provider. If they're not familiar with it, educate them on it have them do some research, you know, it could be a way to help reduce the uh, number of drinks consumed, mm-hmm. which is harm reduction, right? Yeah. Very interesting. So. Hmm. You know, but, but even, even naltrexone itself is harm reduction in a lot of ways too, it, it, the way that it's normally prescribed in the U.S. by doctors. I'm taking it every day. I even think though, we, go ahead. Even though it's medication assisted treatment and like it's the goal of not drinking at all, mm-hmm. people who happen to drink when they're taking their naltrexone every day or on the Vivitrol shot, they happen to drink. Um, I've kind of heard similar things from patients is that like, well, it's not really like somebody described it as like, I used to eat like an entire container of Oreos. Right. Right. Like that, that, like that was their thing. And I ate two and I didn't want any more. Right. And they were talking about alcohol, not Oreos, but like mm-hmm. one of those type of things where like I take this, uh, this pill every day or I take the shot. I still tried to use alcohol, um, but it just doesn't do it. Like I don't really have the same desire. It doesn't provide the same effect anymore. I think when you combine when you combine harm reduction practices with medication assisted treatment, I think it really does make for a for a relatively strong recovery program. And you know, when you combine and when you think about it, when you combine harm reduction techniques with medication assisted treatment and a strong therapy program, whether it be individual and or group therapy, like you got yourself something that if you if you stick to it, that is one hell of a program, and you and you're really setting yourself up for. You're setting yourself up for success, yeah, in a big way. Yeah, well, and and remember too, using that medication assisted treatment, especially even if you continue to to try to use, right? It is providing that experience of like, oh, this doesn't provide me with the results that I was getting before that I liked, right? So it kind of reinforces the idea of like what's the point of using this 
Right. And he's like, what's the point? There's no point here. Right, exactly. Um, so we're, I think we're, we're, we're over the hour mark, but we, I went live on the stream for like a good, maybe 10, 15 minutes before you came on. So we're like at, I want to say like 45, 50 minutes. So do you want to, do you want to cut? Do you want to stop now? Yeah. Okay. Will yeah, you be, I mean, will you be able to record next week? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In terms um, of harm reduction, I think that's really like, those are the major players mm-hmm. in, in harm reduction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would also say, I mean, I don't know if you would consider like drinking like zero proof liquor or like, like zero liquor alternatives are, you know, considered a harm reduction uh, technique. But, you know, again, if you're going to be, if you're going to be subjecting yourself to that atmosphere, uh, you know, like maybe being in a bar or being at a social gathering where people are drinking, at least you have a way of making it through that, that time without actually getting intoxicated. Yeah. So I don't know. It it could be, I think the alcohol-free beers or wines, they they could potentially be harm reduction, Mm -hmm. but then there's also people that are abstinent only, you know, uh, and use that as their model of recovery that also sometimes use those things. Right. Right. You know? So I, I don't, I think you can really kind of like gray area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's where we'll stop. Thank you everybody for listening. That one viewer has been here this whole time. That's definitely a bot. There's no way that this one person <laughs> just was just like, oh, these two people are talking about recovery. Let me just sit here for an hour and watch them. Like, yeah, on a no Sunday one. morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> thank you for everyone that's listening on, on uh, you know, to the recording. After the fact, if you enjoyed the content today, um, we would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to us on all of the major podcasting platforms. Uh, right now, we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Um, when you, If you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, um, leave us a five-star review, drop us a comment, ask us a question. We really want to hear from you guys. Um, follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and TikTok. Get involved with our TikTok campaign to get AJ McLean on the Sober Highway podcast. Um, If you have any questions that you want Anika and I to answer on the podcast, or if you want to be a guest on the podcast, or if you just want to send us some information to share with our listeners, you can DM us on any of the social media platforms, or you can shoot us an email at thesoberhighway at gmail.com. And we will try our best to get back to you as soon as possible. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add? No, I don't think so. So in the coming weeks, guys, if you start to see me going solo or me adding guests here and there, um, given the announcement that Anika made earlier, you can kind of infer what's going on. And um, as as we are able to, uh, we will try to give you updates as possible as you know, right. Is that what we're going to do? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that that sounds about right. Again, I I have several weeks still, but you never know when he'll want to make his debut. So. And we can, and we can save the gender and the name of the baby until. Well, I already said he a couple of times. So, so people know that it's a he, but. Okay. So it's a boy. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but we will, we will, um, we will update you guys as soon as we are able to. Um, so again, thank you for listening. Follow, like, subscribe, reach out, do all that stuff. And we will catch you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.